Looking in Psalm 28 tonight as our psalm of consideration, and I think I will just read this through and then we'll go back and begin to unpack the psalm. To you, it's a psalm of David, to you I will cry, O Lord, my rock, do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to you. When I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary, do not take me away from the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to their wickedness of their endeavors. Give them to the work of their hands, render to them what they deserve, because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands, He shall destroy them and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is her strength. He is the saving strength of his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. Tonight as we look into this psalm, we're going to see a pattern that often is reflected in the psalms that comes a little different way in different every psalm, but we'll find David at a place first he looks to the Lord and then he looks in his own desperation. And the place that he is in his life that is so difficult. And David is there defining this difficulty. And then finally, you'll see him again looking back up to God. And many, many of the Psalms are this way. They start out, they present a problem, they look to the Lord in the end with a solution. And I love that about the Psalms. As you can see the problem, there's a solution. It doesn't doesn't always end that way, but oftentimes, like we'll see tonight, we'll see first the Lord. And if we follow this together, we'll see The psalm begins by uh, portraying a picture of God in a very deep and beautiful way. And then he will begin to speak of this difficulty that he's going through in his life, and then he'll turn around, and here comes the praise and the thanksgiving that comes from his heart to God. And so it's just interesting, because you can find these flows. It's kind of like, it's a little bit like if you would, uh, you think about a roller coaster. The psalms take you that way through the word of God. And you're just going to watch. And what is so beautiful about it, it, they they are written by the Holy Spirit in such a way that you can always touch them. And they always touch you. It's just amazing how the Psalms speak that way in such a beautiful way. To you, David says in the beginning, to you I will cry, O Lord, my rock, do not be silent to me. And here it is, let's stop and think of something David's doing now. He's establishing a depth of foundation, but it's also in a time that he's crying. And notice what he's, he's defining God in a way we find in the Word of God. God has many definitions, many ways you see him in the Bible, but here he is defining God as a rock. 
Now, just after a big storm like this, for instance, you can go out here in the roads, or you can go over to our places, and, and there's been a lot of dirt move around depending where you're at. But the one thing that remains the same is rocks. The rock is firm, it's established, it's anchored. And David here is defining God like a rock. And if, if you notice this, and it can, it, this continues throughout the Bible, but over in 2 Samuel verse 20, chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, and you'll see, see these on your screen tonight, it says, And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now we're going to look at this a little later. And he said, The Lord is my rock. This is one of the characteristics of David. When he saw the Lord, he saw the rock. The Lord is my rock. He doesn't stop there. My fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My savior, you have saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. But notice how many different words he uses in just a short area to describe the Lord. And we just let's go back really quick and look at those. First, we see the rock. Then we see a fortress. Then we see a deliverer. He comes back, my God, my rock, my shield. Here he comes, the horn of my salvation. Then my stronghold, my refuge. Then he says, my savior. And so David is speaking of so many parts of God and who he is. And as we enter, and David's going to really open up about entering into a difficult time. But as, and he's already starting, you can see this, when he says, to you will I cry, O Lord, my rock. And then he says, do not be silent to me. And, and, and another verse that David has in verse 32 of the same chapter, he says, for who is, the, is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock besides our God? So when David's speaking of the rock, he's speaking of that which is incomparable to any other rock. Who is a rock? Who is a rock besides our God? God is my strong fortress, and he sets the blameless in the way. 47, here it is again, same chapter. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the rock of my salvation. And here we see David again just speaking of God is a rock. He doesn't move. He, and when we find, find that type of faith, we recognize we can be anchored on that which does not move, and David was there. He doesn't stop with just a rock, but he, he does speak about an incomparable rock. Yesterday, Debbie and I just took a little time and we took a drive up to, uh, up to Cave Creek and we had lunch. And you get up there and to look at all these tremendous rocks in their formation. And we always enjoy, some of you have probably done it. One of the, if you haven't done it, it's really quite a, a little drive. You take a little drive of, of one of the Stagecoach Roads. You get off of Stagecoach Road and you can go right up along where these houses are built, even between the two rocks. And you have rocks above, rocks around them. And sometimes you think, how did they ever do that? I took, a, I took a building contractor there a few years ago who built large houses in California for many years. He goes, it's just like a feat. It's an amazing thing. 
But there you're looking at many kinds of amazing rocks. And when David speaks of the Lord, he speaks of my rock, singular. He is my rock. He doesn't move. He's anchored. And, and um, I, I think of that song um, that when I was a kid, I learned it and, and, and sung it many times in my life. It says, in times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. And be very sure and be very sure your anchor lies beneath the solid rock. And David here is singularly looking at this rock. But then he goes on, and I want us to look at this with, uh, because it's a very interesting part of the Christian's life and devotion to God. David says, to you I will, be cry, I will cry, O God, my rock, the unchanging one, incomparable one, the place I can anchor. I'm not going to get knocked off by a storm. But then he says, do not be silent to me. I become like those that go down to the pit. God, don't be silent to me. Now, when we think of this, it is a very interesting study of the word of God and even the Christian's life, and that is the silence of God and how oftentimes God speaks differently. Sometimes God doesn't say anything for a long time. You've been there. All of a sudden, you're in the middle of everything. If there would just be an answer. And David, we look at later in his life, here's a king, and he's probably out there in the fields of Bethlehem writing this, but he's saying, God, you're not speaking. I don't hear your voice anywhere. And God allows those quiet times so we stop to listen. We try to serve God in this run, rush, busy time. And so often in the word of God, the, the, the word just calls out and says, you need to be still to know I'm God. You've got to stop. What we do is, is there any way I can serve God in the rush? Okay, give me a, give me a burrito from uh, you know, Taco Bell and I'm on my way. But in the Christian life, there is a place that God will allow silence to create a sensitive ear to him. You're not hearing anything, but you're listening. You know, even if you, if you stop and think about this, even with Elijah, when Elijah found himself running ahead of the chariot, and then he got to the place that he found himself under the tree. And there it was, he said, oh Lord, he heard that Jezebel, the, the, the queen, uh, um, Ahab's wife was going to take his life. He says, Lord, take my life. And it got so quiet. First he heard this great wind and God wasn't there. And he heard this and finally he hears this still small voice. And he says, Elijah, what you doing there on the tree? Well, I'm here because you know what's happened? This lady's going to get me. Yeah, scared. And, and out of that, what the Lord said is, oh, Elijah, get up and eat. But there is a place that God knows we need silence. I will just share this with you. I am no good to preach the gospel unless God takes this man and moves me into a quiet place. And I have to make the choice. Choice today, walk out the doors of that place at 12 o'clock. Don't come back. That was a choice. I looked at Bill. He's right over there. Hi, Bill. Didn't he see where I was going? 
There is a place that God has us, but notice what David's saying. He says, God, you're my rock, but the way we discover the rock of God, the way we sense the power that's in God is when we recognize the stillness and how much we need that quietness. You know, I think about stillness of God, like in this area even, it's how many times do we pray and yet we've never really seen anything yet. Does God answer Does God answer prayer? Amen. Does God say wait? Yes, he does say wait. Does God say no? He told Paul no. Paul said take away that, that thorn in the flesh and God told Paul I can't do it because my grace is sufficient and my strength is made perfect, Paul, in your weakness. And what you're seeing here is is David is, is in this time that there's some distress, but he's seeing, he's experiencing the stillness of God. Oftentimes what happens, and, and I, I've, I've spent a lot of time uh, with a lot of young uh, pastors over the years, and I'll ask them, do you go to the mountain of God to get your message? If you don't go to the mountain of God to get your message, you won't come back with a message from God. And if you don't come back with a message from God, there will be nothing that will change the lives of the people. And the only way you do is you have, to, you have to find stillness and quietness in the presence of God. But when you're there, notice where David is too. He is anchoring on the rock that doesn't move. David is up in, the, in, the, in this place of quietness, but he's saying, God, you're the rock. You're the incomparable rock. You are above everything else, and I'm going to rest in you completely. And then as he, I love that last verse we looked at, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. And, and another Psalm says in Psalm 61 verses one and two say this, hear my cry, O God, give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. And then he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. To the rock that is higher. God, I'm calling. Sometimes we're like little rocks, okay? We're dads, we're mothers, we're, we're carrying responsibilities in our lives. But here David is touching something that's so important. God, I've got to go to you. This is too big for me. And David is saying, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, I think it's one of the challenges of, in the Christian life. You get some experience in your life. You, you understand your vocation pretty well. And you've done that before. And you know how to push that button and pull that lever. And we forget to go to the rock that is higher than us. Now, what David said here is, God, lead me up there to the rock. Sometimes we may resist his leading to go to the rock. And he said, I want the rock that's higher than me. I need God's wisdom. I need God's direction and guidance completely. I don't want my own wisdom here, Lord. And, and, and David is just simply saying, God, I want to go to the rock, but I want to go to the rock that is higher than I. Verse two, hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to you. That was a lot in verse one. Well, hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward, toward your holy sanctuary. I, I just underlined in my Bible, uh, the rock, 
God the rock, the unchanging rock, the silence of God. You are silent in verse 1. And then I come down to this next one. When I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Now remember the temple wasn't built yet. The tabernacle would have been long. David did not know a close proximity to a physical compound often to worship. But what David did was he, in his own walk with the Lord God from heaven, found a sanctuary where he was in which God was. And a sanctuary where God is can be in your, uh, for you men, it can be in the seat of your pickup. For you women, it can be right there at the kitchen table. It can be on the job. It can be so many places. But David here says, says this, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. He sees him as a rock. He senses the silence of God. And then he says, God, I want to be up at your sanctuary. We, already, we looked back, remember, in, in Psalm 27, when David says the one thing that he would desire of the Lord, that he would seek after, is that he would dwell in God's house all the days of his life, that he would embrace God every single day. You know, I think even sometimes we think, well, uh, even in prayer, prayer is often a beautiful place to, to really connect with the sanctuary of God. Another place that's beautiful is meditation. Another is, that's beautiful is just reading God's word, but also just taking time before God and whatever that means. And, and David, David is just speaking about how he lifts his hands up for the sanctuary. There's a, there's a verse in Psalms 73 and 17 that is interesting regarding the sanctuary of God. And it's just been something that in our own, own life, different times, we, we use this as an application. We're in the middle of a big decision. And what are we going to do? And all of a sudden it just struck us. Hold it. Go to the sanctuary of God. Don't make a decision until you've went to the sanctuary of God. Sometimes in our life in America, we can say, I'm going to church Sunday. And I would, Dev and I would talk and say, let's don't make that decision until Monday. Let's look back on what, how God spoke to us through the weekend. And then we can go and look at the picture that's in front of us that's too big for us. But it's more than that. It's, it's connecting with God on an intimate level. And here, David, if you notice what he said, he came to the sanctuary of God and he perceived their end. He was speaking in the context, and we don't have that in the screen, but he had enemies all around him. But when he got to God's sanctuary, he understood. And that has, been, that has been very, very real to us in our life. You go to God's sanctuary and you take what God has placed in your heart. It might be, Lord, I don't know how to respond to one of our children or grandchildren. Or God, I don't know what to do in this situation at work or in the church. Go to the sanctuary of God and God will begin to speak. It'll be, it's amazing. I, there's been times like, and you have been there, that I've sat in the sanctuary, someone else is speaking, and the word of God is hitting my heart in a place I had no idea that the word of God was speaking to me. And that is the beauty of going to the sanctuary. And that isn't just about getting in these four walls, but we have the privilege of going into these four walls. 
It's a gift. It's not a right. God doesn't promise us this. It's just simply what he gives us as his children. But here it is that David, David speaks about when he went to the sanctuary. Now, what David is going to do is he's going to really shift gears, and for a little bit, he's going to look out at a real rugged battlefield that he was involved in at this time. David knew a lot about battle. He was a man of war. But the battle he's looking at tonight, as we look in the next three, four, and five, is just the warring that's happening all around him with his enemies. And if you notice with me, he says, do not take me away from the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak to their neighbors, but evil is in their heart. Now that is very interesting because David says, God, I don't want to get away from them. He said, hold it. I want to get away from them. That is our natural flesh. But David is saying, I don't want to get away from them. Now let God speak to you there. Uh, but uh, something came over me as I was studying this. Uh, we have a very good friend, a, a pastor that's over in another country in Thailand, actually. He's a missionary today. But I remember years ago going to his house, and I was going to speak in the church there. And I, I looked to him, and I said, Merle, what are you going through in your life? And he said, you know what? God has been teaching me that my greatest enemy in my church is really my greatest friend. And I remember looking at him and going, what do you mean? How could it be? And he says, because they sharpen me and they break me and they bring me back to a place. I have no place to go but Jesus Christ. And if you notice what David says, don't take away the wicked and the workers of iniquity. Is it possible David's already seen something long before the cross that adversarial situations and people sharpen his spiritual life as he responds and relies on him, the Lord Jesus. And he says, look at this. They speak peace to the neighbors. See, see what's happening? He begins to describe these people. They speak well, but they have war in their heart. Outwardly, they look good. Inwardly, they're stabbing, they're poking, they're pricking, they're cutting. They're speaking behind the back. And David here is, is saying this. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Now, this is interesting because David, many times in the Bible, David, David expressed an amazing love. But here for a little bit, you just see a little bit, pop. Lord, go get them. You take care of these guys. Other times, David would say, no, I don't want to touch that. God, I'll let you touch that. And, and even, even when he had opportunity, even with Saul, one of the most face-to-face uh, -face enemies he had, at the creek one time, he could have taken the life of Saul, and David wouldn't touch the Lord's anointed. But right here for a moment, David says, okay, give them the work of their hands, Lord. You take care of it. But really, he's leaving it in God's hands. He's not saying, Lord, let me swing a couple blows here. Lord, if I could just get a couple blows in this thing, and then you could take over from there. He says, give them according to the work of their hands. Um, there's, a, there's a verse in, in Psalm 50, 21 that speaks, in, and I'm flowing this together here tonight 
Uh, we have the rock, the silence of God, the holy sanctuary. But here's one that I want to look at in, in Psalm 50:21. David is saying, these things you have done and I have kept silent. God, I have seen you been working. I stand back. I let you do your job. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and the state of the case in order before your eyes. Okay, this is the Lord speaking to David. He's saying, I will reprove you. You thought there was a time I was just like you. I'm God. When I do the work, I do it right. And David is saying, okay, God, you take it. You give it. I'm gonna give, I give it to you. I surrender to you. You take this and you do what you want with this. And, and may you receive all the glory and praise. You know, for a moment, let's, just, let's stop and think about a few of David's enemies. He, he had many. Uh, the Bible lists many. But he had some real special enemies in his life. Obviously, as he began his life, uh, you think of uh, Goliath. That was a real upfront, fast, nine-foot guy ready to take him out. There was his enemy. And, and Goliath was obviously... At that one moment of time, and sometimes an enemy will be like that, at that one, one moment of time, David came face to face with someone much greater than him that he trusted in God, and God won the victory. And praise God. But then you go into someone like Saul, and David had a different experience. He now found himself just poked and stabbed and pricked and cut and jabbed. He ran from Saul. He would someday be the king of Israel. He had already been anointed king. He was running from Saul. Saul went after David. He chased him into caves. He chased him through the wilderness. He put him out in the most desolate cities that were possible. When David gathered an army of 400, they were everyone that was in debt and, and in all of these different problematic ways. And there it was that David was discovering God. You know, you would like to think we could grow without enemies, wouldn't you? You'd like to think, you know, we could just read the Word of God and the Word of God would speak and we'd grow. But it doesn't seem like that's the way the Word of God works. We grow through special people that God places in our life. They're real special people. They're really like a gift, but we don't recognize it often today. And, but David sees this in the Psalms some. But some of those other ones for beyond that, I think of uh, one was uh, uh, Doeg, the, the Elamite. Well, Doeg the Elamite was a great shepherd of sheep, and Doeg made David's life miserable. He would hear something, go back and tell Saul. He was always working behind until one time he took on, I believe, 85 priests and killed them all at the command of Saul. He was a tough guy. Matter of fact, if you just think about his name, I mean, who would like to meet Doug in the alley tonight or back behind the church? He probably wasn't the most friendly guy you ever did meet. But there's a lot of different ones that God, it's like God took this wonderful man of God that he was using in so many mighty ways and he said, I got to give you a, a tremendous gift. I'm just going to fill your life with enemies. And here they came. You say, You got to be kidding. 
This guy's just the guy after God's own heart. All he wants to do is serve the Lord. And he looks to the Lord and God says, no, I give you Doeg. And another one I, I jotted down, Ohithophel. He was another one of those one of those enemies of David that deserted David's army and came back and, and was stabbing and poking and pricking and jabbing the king. And David, it's amazing, he stood back. And there was, there was, uh, there was Shimei. If you remember Shimei, one day David was walking. Now he'd been established king. He was walking through the land of Israel like the king, and Shimei throws stones at him. And someone says, should we go get him? And David says, no, it could be of the Lord. It could be of God. And here was David, again, in the middle of despair, and there really was not um, stability in many times during this in the kingdom, surrounded by all of these people trying to take him down. And it doesn't make sense in the flesh, but in the spirit, it's just really pretty exciting, really, when you think about this. Then you, but then you go on in David's life, go on to the end of his life, and here's Absalom, his own son, who tries to take over the kingdom. And this is a guy he deeply loved, and his own son rises up against him and even does terrible things in the eyes of all of Israel. Here's this guy just saying, hey, I'm gonna take over. Even though you're my dad, I don't care. Another son rises up like this, and you think, it can't be it. It should not be. But you know what the Word of God is saying? And I believe we see it all the way back in the Psalms. This is how godliness comes out in men and women's lives. I think we all think there's got to be a shortcut there's got to be a, a, you know, there's got to be a way. There's, there's got to be five steps. But here with this wonderful man of God, God was, was shaping him and molding him and, and making him what he could never be by enemies surrounding him. Just think about that, by enemies everywhere. You know, years ago, I, I read this story. I, I don't hardly ever get on enemies, so I don't think about it. There was a a statesman back in the 1700s that lived outside of Philadelphia, I believe about 100 miles. His name was Peter Meller. And Peter Meller in the entire community was known to be a man of great stature, a man of God, a man that was a man of integrity. Everyone in the entire community knew it. But God gave Peter Meller in this little village where he lived an individual named Michael Whitman to poke him. And Michael Whitman poked and made fun of Peter. And where Peter was, Michael was, challenging him and contradicting him and making him look absolutely foolish. Finally, Michael leaves the little village and he goes over to Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, he lives a really rough life. He goes to prison and he is he, is, uh, he, is, he has been taken because of thievery and robbery and all kinds of things he did through Philadelphia. And the day, the, the day of his final trial came, and it was in the middle of the winter, and Peter Meller decided he would go to the trial. It took him three days by horse to get to the trial. 
And he gets to the trial, and the judge was up there. He recognized Peter, and he says, what are you here for? And he says, I'm really here to, be, to appeal on behalf of my friend, Michael Whitman. He says, I'd like to take him home to my house and let him live with me. And the judge knew Peter, and he said, Peter, there's no way I can grant you this kind of liberty to take your friend back home like this. And Peter says, you don't understand. This is the most difficult enemy I've ever had in my entire life. And the judge said, a man that would go in the snow for three days to come here on behalf of an enemy to take him home has the privilege in this court to take Michael Whitman home to your house and live with you. God had done something in Peter's life to where Peter was reaching out in ways that were not were way beyond his ability and reaching out and doing amazing things. If you look over here, again, David is saying, we, we look in verse four, now verse five, because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands. These people don't. He shall destroy them and shall not build them up. Now, David is acknowledging the righteous judgment of God. He is recognizing that God is a perfect judge. God, you know, you know what it even says of Jesus, when he was actually reviled or buffeted, he didn't revile back. Okay, they, they swung at him, he did not swing back. When he was reviled, when he was suffered, he never threatened back. He simply committed himself to him, God who is able to judge righteously. This is Jesus. And, and we see this with David, but David was recognizing that God had a, was in control and God would recompense. You know, it's, it, it, there's a big difference there. It's not God doesn't care. God does recompense. God is a righteous judge and righteous God. He is holy. He will fulfill what he says he will do. So we've looked a little bit at this part of the psalm. David's speaking about his struggles. He's got as a rock. He senses the silence of God. He looks out of his enemies. But the last part of the psalm that we want to end up tonight in, which is really the solution, it's the place we must all go to rise above enemies, to even find sanctuaries and quietness to sense God's presence in the most amazing ways. Look at the, look, let's, let's go through the last part of this, this chapter here. Blessed be the Lord. Now David says, God, praise you, bless you. I want to bless you for who you are, not because, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. God has heard my prayers. He's heard my cries. He has heard my heart. And now the Lord, now David is, he had spoke of the Lord as a rock. He has spoken of the Lord as a fortress. He has spoken of the Lord as a tower. Now he says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Here it is, God is my all in all. My God, God is the one who will overcome. God is the one that will fight the battle. God was the one who's going to conquer. And David is recognizing it here. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Acknowledging God, my heart goes to you and I trust you. 
and then you supply everything. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. And here it is now, David. You know, it's easy to think, well, all those enemies are gone. Everything like that's out of his way, and now he's over here. And many times as Christians, Christians get locked in this cycle of preparing to live, but never living in Christ. We're waiting for the day when the enemies are gone. We're waiting for the day when there's no battles. And it's not going to be. What we find with David is David is embracing the Lord Jesus in the middle of trial and heartache and struggle. And this is what David is doing here. And here he says, my heart greatly rejoices. And with my song, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him in the storm, in the difficulty. And the thing that doesn't make sense, David says, I'm going to praise God right there. And then he, in verse 8, he says, the Lord is their strength. And he is the saving refuge of his anointed. You know, when you look at the there, you think, is he pointing back to the enemies? He's saying, until they find the Lord, they'll find no strength. And, and they're trying to use their own strength to to fight the king. I don't know what he's saying entirely there, but what it seems like he is saying for sure is God is the strength of every person. No matter who you are, where you're at, God is our strength. There's, a, there's one of the Psalms says, um, well, we just looked at it. Well, no, 46 says, God is our refuge and strength. It's a very present help in time of trouble. We won't fear even if the earth is removed and storms come. And David here simply saying, the Lord is their strength and he is a saving refuge of his anointed. So not only is he acknowledging the strength of the Lord, but he's saying, where his anointed are, there's salvation. There is refuge. It's not like you're left out by yourself, even though you're in the middle of difficulty. And let's think about David that way, because he's writing this with a lot going on around him. He is the Lord's anointed, and there's salvation, and there's a refuge in him. And he recognizes that the Lord is that refuge. Save your people and bless your inheritance Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. And David here is just speaking of, oh Lord, you are king. Save, shepherd, bless, lift up, strengthen. There's a, there's a verse over in, there's a verse in Zephaniah uh, chapter 3, verse 17. It's just a beautiful one. Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets. But here Zephaniah says, the Lord, your God, is in your midst. A victorious warrior, he will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And it's interesting because you go back and you think, well, what, does, what do you remember about Zephaniah? It'd probably be kind of an interesting thing if we just went up and down. What does people remember about Zephaniah? Well, here's one voice, verse, that you can claim that Zephaniah shouted. All these prophets were men of God called to speak to people that didn't want to hear and to call them back to him, and they didn't really want to hear. The masses didn't. And here it was, Zephaniah is just simply saying, never forget the Lord is in your midst. He's a victorious warrior. He's going to exalt over you. He's going to do it with joy. He will be quiet in his love. And there he touches that quietness again that we looked at earlier. 
and he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And, and um, I, I look at this and just see, say, here is the man, a man of God who has found God in less than a perfect circumstance. And he could turn to God in spite of and even with everything around and say, God, you're in control. And I'm going to trust you there. I don't know how, how we take, this, take it away tonight here in regards to this psalm and what it means to each of us, but, but one of the things that is so blessed about the psalms is they do speak to all of us, and if it's not today, it's tomorrow, or it's in, in a month or a, a year. God has a, a special way that the word becomes amazingly relevant to every one of his children. And as we go to the word of God, just like we did tonight, we look here, we find out that even in the midst of all of this stuff, David sees God. And I guess uh, we leave that with you tonight because I don't know the stuff in your life. All I know is the enemy fills our life with stuff and we, we feel our flesh gets involved in stuff. But we have the privilege with all the stuff to look to the Lord as our God. Look to him as our refuge, our strength, our deliverer. And one of the beauties we can go back to and just think about is as a rock that doesn't move. Because we're in a world that is moving so much in so many ways and affecting so many things around us. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure it's like this. If I spend my prime time focusing on this, I start missing the rock. Somewhere I've got to step back and say, Lord, I got to see that rock that doesn't move. That unshakable foundation. And that's where we are tonight. Um, there, there, you know, there's a, there's a verse I came to, and I think I want, might just end there. In Matthew 16. And it's a beautiful verse where Peter, Jesus Jesus came to the disciples and they were up in, in Caesarea and, 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 and he was asking them, who, they, who do they say I am? But, but there's, a, there's something really interesting about this. Uh, in verse 13, Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, it's a beautiful place. Caesarea Philippi is, is upland in Israel in a beautiful area where the waters are flowing down from Mount Hermon down in towards the Sea of Galilee. And you can get there and there's a lot of beautiful things. But he asked his disciples a question, who do men say that I am? And they said, this is the disciples, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said, said to them, but who do you say that I am? And that's interesting because he was calling these disciples out. I don't need everyone else's ideas. I want to hear from you. Who am I? And he says, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Right answer, good answer, the answer. And this is what, you're the rock. You're the, you are the answer. 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered. After Simon answers, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter, you can't say that unless God tells, reveals that to you. You don't have that power. But when you say that and you have that power, great things happen. And I say, also say to you that you are Peter. Okay, you're Peter. Now this is looked at differently among certain, but this is what to us the word of God teaches. You're Peter, just like you're Carl, you're Bob. You're Peter. You are Peter. And on this rock, myself, the unshakable rock, the foundation that will not move, he says, I'm gonna build my church. I will build my church on an unmovable rock called Jesus that won't move no matter what comes. And as I build this rock, I'll build my church. The gates of Hades, which is hell, will not prevail. They will not overcome it. And I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Here it is, the word of God. I will give you the word of God. I'll give you the spirit of God. I'll give you the power to go out with the word of God and share the gospel wherever you got. I will give you the word of I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This is what opens that door to, the, to heaven. The word of God. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's saying, Peter, I'm the rock. You go from here, you share the gospel. And as you share this gospel, Heaven opens because the word of God opens heaven. The spirit of God opens heaven. And what you bind on earth, I will recognize as done in heaven because you are my witness. Peter, not only are you Peter, but you're a little rock. That's another, thing, another one of the definitions of Peter. Peter, you're the little rock, but I am the great rock. I am the unmovable fortress. I'm the one you can rest in. So as you leave, let's, let's take comfort in that. No matter what happens, we are anchored to a rock that doesn't move. And there is a promise of this word of God that that rock is not going to move. And as we rest in him, he will take care of us, he will lead us, and we also, like David, can rejoice. It doesn't mean that everything leaves, but we can see that rock, that unmovable, unchangeable rock in all the difficulties of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you tonight for your word. I thank you, Father, that it speaks to us in so many different places and uh, declares who you are and what you have done. And, and I thank you, God, that you don't let go of us. Uh, I do want to thank you even tonight, Lord, for special enemies that you have brought in every life that's here. I don't know who they are. You do. Somewhere you have allowed circumstances to come that have brought us closer to you, Lord. And I thank you for that work. And I just pray, Father, that you can have your perfect will in us and the result will be a beauty and blessing. And just like this king who failed and stumbled and fell and, and uh, made mistakes, he rose again in your strength. Oh, Lord, tonight we rise in your strength to declare the unmovable rock that doesn't move and to praise you because you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. May your name be lifted up in the highest. In Christ's name, amen. So God bless you all.
Have a wonderful week.